This is Carol Foster of 2 Timothy 2.15 Resources, and I am so excited that you're going to join me today as we study God's Word. The response new Messianic believers give when asked why they initially visited a Messianic congregation is, we knew there had to be more. As we study together, we will begin to see that yes, indeed, there has to be more. For additional study aids to assist you in studying along with us, go to our website, SECTIM.org. The last time we were together, we were doing further research on Adonai, our Lord and Master. We were looking at verses that substantiated this fact. I want to continue where we left off. Now, remember, we were using one of our organizational tools, lists or T-charts. We labeled one as Scripture Address, and the other we labeled He is Lord or Adonai Over. We've not only been purchased with a price for the future, but we are protected and held safe by his mighty right hand. We have all that he is available to us in the here and now. Also our key verse, Proverbs 18, verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. He is everything we need him to be when we need him to be it. I want us to continue to discover what Adonai is Lord and Master over. Psalms 8.1 tells us, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Adonai is sovereign ruler over all. His majestic name, his character, nature, and personality is recognized throughout the earth. The heavens bear witness to him. Now, we see in these two verses two things that David admires. How plainly God displays his glory himself. He addresses himself to God with all humility and reverence as the Lord and his people's Lord. O Lord, our Lord. The word is Adonai. If we believe that Adonai is our Lord and Master, we must affirm and acknowledge Him to be ours. He is ours, for He made us, protects us, and takes special care of us. He must be ours, for we are bound to obey Him and submit to Him. We must own the relationship, not only when we come to pray to Adonai as a plea with Him to show us mercy, but when we come to praise him, to give him all glory. And we should never think we can do that with enough love, admiration, and honor if we consider how brightly God's glory shines, even in this lower world. The statement, how excellent is his name in all the earth, tells us that the works of creation is evidence and it proclaims to all all the world that there is an infinite being the fountain of all being power and perfection the sovereign ruler powerful protector and bountiful benefactor of all the creatures how great how illustrious how magnificent is his name in all the earth the light of it shines in men's faces everywhere Romans one twenty tells us that if they shut their eyes against it, that is their fault. There is no speech or language but the voice of God's name, Elohim, either is heard in it or may be heard in it. 
But this looks further to the gospel of Messiah, by which the name of God, as it is notified by divine revelation, which before was great in Israel only, came to be so in all the earth, the utmost ends of which have thus been made to see God's great salvation, according to Mark 16 and 15. How much more brightly it shines in the upper world. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. God is infinitely more glorious and excellent than the noblest of creatures and those that shine most brightly. Whereas we, on this earth, only hear God's excellent name and praise that. The angels and blessed spirits above see his glory and praise that. And yet he is exalted far above even their blessing and praise. In the exaltation of Yeshua, our Messiah, to the right hand of God, who is the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person, God set his glory above the heavens, far above all principalities and powers. His name is Adonai, and we run into that strong tower and are safe. We take refuge in him, his characteristics and attributes as our Lord and Master. Another verse I want us to look at is Psalms 135. Now, in Jewish circles, this is one of the two psalms, Psalms 135 and 136, that are sometimes called the Great Halal, or the Great Praise. The pair apparently were composed for worship in the Second Temple. The psalm is anonymous. A reasonable suggestion is that Ezra wrote this poem. Others date the psalm to the days of Hezekiah. This psalm is a mosaic of fragments from other psalms. The psalm consists of three divisions. The first, a call to praise, verses 1 through 4. The second, an argument for praise, verses 5 through 18. And third, a second call to praise, verses 19 through 21. We're going to use these divisions so that we can more clearly understand what the author is saying. I'm going to read Psalms 135, 1 through 4. We read, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. This is the duty we're called to to praise Adonai, to praise his name, praise him, and again praise him. We must not only thank him for what he has done for us, but praise him because of who he is and what he has done for others. We must take all occasions to speak well of Adonai our God, our Lord and Master, and to give his truths and ways a good word. The persons that are called upon to do this are the servants of the Lord. During this period of time, it was referring to the priests and Levites that stand in his house and all the devout and pious Israelites that stood in the courts of his house to worship there. Today it applies to those who have accepted Yeshua as their personal Savior, their Lord and Master. 
We read in Revelations 1, verses 1 and 6, From him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the next section of the psalm, verses 5 through 7, we read, For I know that the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasures. Yahweh's greatness and sovereignty is exhibited in nature. He is greater than all the so-called gods worshipped by the Gentiles, his, uh, he exercises his sovereign will in heaven, in earth, in the seas, and in the depths beneath the earth. Lightning, wind, and rain are in his control. In the third section of the psalm, verses 8 through 12, we read, He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He smote many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Adonai's sovereignty was exhibited in the deliverance of his people from Egypt and their establishment in the land of Canaan. He displayed tokens of his power against Pharaoh, ultimately destroying the firstborn of man and beast. Before Israel, he smote Sahan and Og, mighty Amorite kings of the Transjordan region. He took their land and gave it as a heritage to Israel. In verses 13 and 14, we found, Your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassions on his servants. We see that Adonai is eternally the same. He will not forget his people. His name is called Memorial because it brings to mind all that he is and does. Such as he has revealed himself to be. He will continue to be forever. Because of his relationship with Israel, Yahweh would do them justice. He would not finally abandon them. In the fourth section of Psalms 135, verses 15 through 18, the, uh, we read, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. The gods of the heathen are only the work of men's hands. They cannot hear, see, nor speak. They have no breath in them. They are lifeless. 
those who worship such gods are also the same. Now the final section is verses 19 to 21. We read, O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aran, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. All Israel, the house of Aaron the priest, the Levites, and all who fear God were called upon to praise the Lord. Adonai's blessing goes forth out of his earthly habitation in Zion. From Zion, where they meet to worship, his people's adoring praises must also ring out. Now, I want to draw our attention back to the phrase, You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Let me read this verse one more time and listen carefully. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Each phrase is specific on who was to praise Adonai. First of all, the house of Israel was to bless Adonai. The house of Aaron was to bless Adonai. The house of Levi was to bless Adonai. Then we read, you who revere Adonai are to bless Adonai. Did you catch what that last phrase was? You who revere Adonai are to bless Adonai. If we do indeed revere Adonai, then we are to bless him. We are to bless him with our praises, bless him with our songs, bless him with our actions, and bless him with our lives. We should be living a life of praise to Adonai, our Lord and Master. We also read that in this chapter that he is Lord and Master over all other gods. He is the only God. He's master and Lord over all heaven and earth, in the seas and the deep. He is judge over his people. He is Lord and master over eternity. His name is everlasting. We also discovered the benefits of him being our Adonai. First of all, again, he is the Lord above all gods. He remembers us throughout all generations. He will have compassion on us, his servants, and his servants will be blessed by the Lord. Now, we have a response to our Adonai, our Lord and Master, and we found this in these verses. We, our responsibility is to know or accept or acknowledge him as our Master and Lord. We are to know and to declare that he is a Lord and Master and is above all gods. We are to bless the Lord and we are to praise the Lord. I want us to think a little on something that we addressed in an earlier session. If we call him our Adonai, our Lord and Master, how does that really apply to our lives? Now, remember, the deeper understanding of the word and its application to our lives is the sowed level of Hebraic learning. In order to do this properly, we again go to what the Word tells us. 
In Luke 6, verse 46, we read, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, asks the question, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, Adonai, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? Malachi spoke of proper relationships in society, relationships that Israel certainly would have insisted on. A son honors his father and a servant his master. So we ask ourselves the question, which set of relationships would Israel have considered comparable to her relationship with the Lord? Some Israelites might have suggested that God was like a father to Israel. The fifth commandment states that children are to honor their parents. Disobedient children who rebelled against discipline were to be stoned, according to Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, should the nation which considered itself a son of the Lord be less obedient? So God's question was sharply presented, If I am a father, where is the honor or glory due me? The Hebrew word for honor, kabod, also means glory. The glory of God is spoken of frequently throughout the scriptures. He's even called the king of glory in Psalms 24. And the fact that glory and honor are due him is beyond dispute. Perhaps some Israelites might consider the Lord the master of Israel. Now, certain scriptures present Israel as the Lord's servant. Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 2 is a good example. So how could the nation that was the Lord's servant be disrespectful to him? The Lord's second question was ominous. If I am a master... Where is the respect due me? The word respect may also be translated as fear. There's no contradiction between the admonition to love God and the exhortation to fear him. Both appear together in the covenant. Now we read this in Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And again in Devarim 6, verse 13, we read, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Fear of God does not mean being terrified of him. It means a proper respect and reverence for him a reverence that leads to worship and obedience. Now, let's go back to our verse in Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, and let's read it again. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? We've already looked at the first portion of this verse. Now, I want to concentrate on this last section. This charge given by Malachi is doubly sad because after the return from exile, 
The priests were responsible to teach the people of God's covenant and to turn their hearts to God. If the priests failed to honor God, what could be expected of the people? The words, my name, stands for God himself. They despised him, the one who is the Lord Almighty, their Lord, Master, and the God Most High. Malachi cast the priests in the rhetorical role of questioning God. How have we despised your name? It was one of those questions that they already knew the answer to, but asked anyway. Like your kids when you ask them a question, where are your school books? And they turn right around and ask you the same question, just rephrased. Oh, you want to know where my school books are? From the specific nature of the charges that follows in verses 7 through 14, the priests were extremely insensitive to their sin, seemingly and surprisingly unaware that they had despised God. Let's read these verses. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised? But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor, and he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, said the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, My, how tiresome it is! And you disdainly sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so that you bring the offering? Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations." The Lord's reference to defiled food should have been enough to cause the priests to repent. They had specific instructions on what constituted defective sacrifices. They had been warned against offering such sacrifices, lest the priests thereby profane and defile God's name. Yet the priests were guilty of that very sin, despising his name, by offering defiled food. But why did Malachi call the sacrifices food? Because all of the offerings were called the food of God. The priests asked, How have we defiled you? They did not say, We have not defiled you. For they could not really plead ignorance of the law. 
So they asked how they had profaned the Lord. The fact that they saw the charge of improper sacrifices as a defilement of God himself showed that they were familiar with the Leviticus 22, which says, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicated to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. We'll continue our study at our next session. Thank you for joining us today as we delved into the beautiful truths of God's Word to indeed discover that there has to be more. I pray that the Word applied to your daily life will bring a deeper understanding of His love letter written just to you. Let me remind you that we have additional study aids to assist you with our studies together on our website, sectim.org. May this day fill you with the love of God, joy, and shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken in your life.